Today's lesson is from Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which comes down on the parched mountains. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel this morning is from John 12, verses 12 to 16. The Lord be with you. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The Gospel of Christ. Standing, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak to us and reveal yourself to us. So I'd pray in light of that truth that I as preacher would just get out of the way far, far less of me and far, far more of you. That your people gathered this day would be edified, your son Jesus glorified. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated please? Today is Palm Sunday, which was historically located in the Jewish feast of Passover. The pilgrims are already gathering into the city, and Jesus was among them, riding into the city on a donkey. In the days before, he would have, with his disciples, been singing, discussing, reflecting upon the Psalms of Ascent, that ancient process of formation as they together were learning to live God's way in God's world. This year, as a church, we've been joining them as we've been ascending to celebrate the Easter feast. And today we come to the penultimate psalm, Psalm 133. And I'll invite you to turn there in your Bibles or in your Bible apps or uh, the Pew Bible in front of you, the blue book, you'll find that psalm on page 575. Now David, who wrote this psalm, opens with a glorious affirmation. How good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. Now the pilgrims would have tasted the truth of that sentiment as they gathered together along the road in the journey to Jerusalem, they were eating and drinking, discussing, sharing. Old friends would be re reunited. Distant family would reconnect. Memories would be shared. Embraces lingered in. Presence rested in. 
how good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. For some, though, such a phrase would open up old wounds, awaken hurts, stir up sadness, fill them with dread. They would have to be with that person again. It would awaken the historical sadness of the divided kingdom, the exiled who could not, would not be a part of the pilgrimage. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter with loved ones. And most of us, if we're honest, will be filled with a mixture of anticipation and trepidation. That one family member who by their presence and behavior can sour the whole experience. That off-limits conversation, the presence of old hurts, unforgiven wrongs, the empty seat of the person who will not be with us that year. But how good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. When that's not your experience, such a sentiment can be aspirational, driving us to pursue such a state, to see it as a good above every other good. They say that no one on their deathbed says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Where would that time be spent instead? Invariably, relationships. In the midst of COVID, we couldn't distract ourselves from difficult family dynamics with the trip, the experiences, the buying of more stuff. We were stuck with that dynamic, and it either got worse, or we put the time and energy in that was needed to set it on a different trajectory. Many people have been reflecting with me over the last bit of how the experience of the past two years has brought to the the surface the conviction that relationships are what primarily matter. And I wonder if when things go back to normal, if we'll hold on to that conviction or if we'll go back to the normal patterns of sacrificing relationship on the altar of career, success, comfort. How good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. And while such an affirmation includes the tapestry of relationships every single one of us are engaged in, David has a particular kind of relationship in mind. It's about the relationships that exist within a worshiping community. And getting along, right relating with one another is not the goal but rather the means to the goal. You see, the church, the worshiping community, often makes right relating the goal, which ends up, interestingly enough, often eroding community. You see, for many years, I was a pastor of discipleship, and primarily that was oversight over small groups. Groups that met together to study scripture, to pray, to support one another in the journey of faith. Groups that many of you are involved in. One of the questions that I was often navigating with small group leaders was whether or not they were an open group or a closed group. In other words, whether they were open to new members or closed off to the idea. 
And sometimes they were closed to new members for pragmatic reasons. The space in which they met was just not big enough to include more people. But at other times, the decision to remain as a closed group, not bring in new people, was born of a desire to protect the group dynamics that they had all come to know and appreciate. Uh, we've, we've hit our stride, they would say. We're, we're open and, and close and connected to one another. And we, we don't want new people coming in to, to mess up that dynamic. But you know what often happened? Because people change, the circumstances of their lives changed, invariably the group dynamics changed. And because their purpose was to simply guard those group dynamics, they didn't weather those changes all that well. But rather, the groups that remained open saw it as their purpose to support others in that journey of faith, weathered those changes of group dynamics a whole lot better. Why? Because they had a purpose beyond themselves that drew them together in unity. How good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. When I first came to Little T, one of the first church retreats I was a part of, we had John Bowen, who was a Wycliffe professor, come and be our guest preacher. And at one point in the retreat, he invited all of us to stand up in this rather large room and get in a circle and hold hands, looking inward. He said, this is how most of us envision church community. We exist to support and care for one another, which is absolutely wonderful. But do you know what people experience when they come in? a whole bunch of people with their back turned to them. Instead, he invited us to turn outward, to stay in that circle, join hands with the person next to you. And he said, see, we're, we're still a loving, caring, supporting community, but now our loving, caring, supporting community exists for the sake of the other, the outsider. How good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. A unity, yes, of right relating, but a unity, more importantly, of purpose. And this is where David moves next in the psalm by way of a simile painting a vivid picture. Such a worshiping community, he says, verse 2, is like precious oil on the head. Oil was used to anoint someone to set them apart for a particular task. David would have vividly remembered how the prophet Samuel had anointed him with sweet-smelling oil to set him apart for the task as future king. But David takes the image in a little bit of a different direction. He says it's like precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother, the first high priest. Oil used to anoint him to set him apart for the task of priest, the mediator between heaven and earth, the in-between God and humanity. David goes further still on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes, and the Hebrew suggests it's running all over his robes. The oil is 
flowing over in abundance, flowing down, uncontained. The oil is not only setting apart a king, not only setting apart a priest, it is setting apart an entire worshiping community for the task of being a kingdom of priests. That's the unity. That's the purpose to which we as a worshiping community are called. How good How pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. Now that sounds terribly obscure, right? I mean, absolutely disconnected from your life and reality, right? You're a kingdom of priests. But in fact, it actually cuts right to the core of who God created you to be. It cuts right to the core of who Jesus calls us as a community to be. You see, in a biblical vision of humanity, God created us and gave us a royal task, set us apart for a particular reason, to steward creation as God's vice regents for the good of all. We're not only given a royal task, we were given a priestly task to reflect the praises of creation back to our creator. But humanity has abandoned both tasks, right? I mean, as Paul puts it in Romans 1, we exchanged the worship of the creator and instead worship created things. Which of us would argue that we live in a culture that worships such things as beauty, romantic love, success, power, money, Not only have we laid aside our priestly task, we've laid aside our kingly task. Instead of stewarding creation for the good of all, we ravage creation for our own sake to fuel our insatiable consumption, to satisfy our worship of beauty, love, success, power, money. And as a result, we're in a pretty messed up reality. The world is not as God intended, but God has done something about it in Jesus, and that involves us as a worshiping community. In his book, The Day the Revolution Began, N.T. Wright speaks of this work of Jesus on the cross restoring our true humanity, that of being a royal priesthood, and he writes this. The biblical vision of what it means to be a human, the royal priesthood, means standing between heaven and earth, even in the present time, adoring the creator and bringing his purposes into reality on the earth ahead of the time when God will return and make everything new. The royal priesthood is the company of rescued humans who being part of the earth worship the God of heaven and are thereby equipped with the breath of heaven in their renewed lungs to work for his kingdom on earth. The cross then sets us free to be this in-between people caught up in the rhythm of worship and mission, worship and mission, worship and mission. That rhythm of being equipped and empowered in worship to live out our lives in mission, to work for his kingdom in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, our cities. What does that even look like? 
Well, when I reflect on that question, a rather odd image comes to mind. Humor me for just a moment. Lori and I really appreciate Gordon Ramsay's cooking shows. And our favorite is uh, MasterChef, uh, where they seek to find the best home cook in America. And they, through competitions in different cities, bring about the best 30 home cooks into the studio. And then, through a series of competitions, they whittle it down to the best home cook, who's given a quarter of a million dollars, a cookbook deal, a small trophy, and the notoriety of being America's next master chef. Now, one of the recurring challenges in the show involves Ramsay cooking one of his signature dishes and then laying it down before the chefs and giving them an hour to replicate it. And the chef that replicates it the best wins that stage of the competition. So the chefs gather around this plate. They gaze upon this beautiful culinary creation. They allow their nostrils to fill with the aromas. They dip in their spoons to try and get a sense of the ingredients, the balance, the proportions. And then they go back to their workstations to set to work to try and replicate it. Now in worship, we gather before the Lord. And in word, in song, in liturgy, in prayer, we behold a vision of what God intended for his good creation. We hear of his promise to come again and to flood the earth with new creation, with his beauty, his love, his justice, his goodness. Our ears are attuned to hear, our eyes attuned to see, our hearts attuned to yearn. We're empowered by the person and work of the Spirit, and then we're sent out to replicate what we've seen and heard And we don't go back to our stations, our workplaces, our families, our neighborhoods, our communities to compete with one another, but rather to work together, to use the gifts that God has given each one of us to replicate what we have beheld, the glory of new creation. And like the home cooks, we will not replicate what we have seen That will require Jesus to return and make everything new. But we can anticipate it. We can reflect it. We can point to it. We can invite others to behold it. How good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. The unity of a royal priesthood. Now in our final verse, David reflects deeply on the impact of a worshiping community that is united with that kind of purpose. Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the parched land. I've spent most of my life in Ontario, where our weather follows rather predictable patterns. But for six years, I spent my spring and summer in northern BC planting trees, often at high elevation. And the weather seemed anything but predictable. It'd be a a hot, sunny day, and then all of a sudden you'd feel this distinctive pressure change. The temperature would begin to fall. It would seem minute by minute. And then all of a sudden the sky would open with hail. In the middle of summer, 
pale. It, it didn't make any sense to an Ontario boy. I came to understand later in life that a weather system would, would come in. It would be pushed up over the mountains. And as a result, that air mass would cool, causing that distinct drop in temperature. And then the skies would open, not with rain, but with hail or snow. A similar phenomenon happened in Israel. In the summer, hot, humid air mass would be pushed up against Mount Hermon, which was the highest peak in Israel. As it was pushed up over the mountains, that humid air would cool and condense and fall as dew upon the heights. But then as that air mass was pushed up over the mountains, there was not the water vapor in the air to produce any rain, and the other side of the mountain was dry and arid and barren. Now, two of the yearly pilgrimages occurred during the summer months where the pilgrims would be walking through that dry, arid, barren landscape, knowing that any fertility that would happen in that area would come by way of the rivers and streams that owed their source to the dew that fell on Mount Hermon. How good, how pleasant it is when the people dwell in unity. Worshipping community, that royal priesthood formed in the rhythm of worship and mission, is invited to see that God's work in them and through them was meant to bring blessing flowing down like those rivers upon the communities and the structures and the people with whom they interacted. To bring forgiveness where there's bitterness, to bring love where there's hate, to bring justice where there's injustice, to bring peace where there's conflict, to bring freedom where there's bondage. How good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. But this is not something we do ourselves. Rooted in our own gifts, our own resources, our own competencies, it's rather a response to grace. For the most common phrase that we see in this psalm is descending, flowing down, falling upon. This community, this royal priesthood formed in the rhythm of worship and mission is a gift. Coming down from above the fruit of God's grace and spirit that we receive and then participate in. And it begs the question, how then do we receive that gift and participate in it? Well, we do that every single Sunday that we gather. We literally act out the truths together of Psalm 133. Now, I know not many of the people that call Little T home consider themselves Anglicans. You've been formed and shaped in beautiful ways in other communities, but the liturgy in particular is often new to you. And you've been formed to think, well, the sermon, the music, the communion, oh, I get those things. That's kind of the main event. But, but the liturgy, I, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing every week, right? I mean, couldn't we like shorten the service by taking some of those elements out? Can you hear, tell that I hear this from time to time? But the liturgy in many ways is the main event. It is above everything else, the thing that forms and shapes us partly because it is the same week in and week out. 
It's forming us, reforming us in biblical truths that we're seeing in Psalm 133. As Gavin opened the service, he called us to worship, to pick up our task as priests, to breathe in the aroma of God's love, to gaze upon his glory, to taste his goodness and justice, to through his word hear about the glorious work of God in Jesus making everything new. And then we confess our sin. We turn away from the things that we worship other than the living God. And then we hear of the gift of God's forgiveness and grace falling down upon us. And then in light of that gift, Orvin in a few moments will say, The peace of the Lord be always with you. To which we will all respond, and also with you. Do you know why that's there? That's meant to be the time in the service where we honestly ask, as I have peace with God and Jesus, is there peace in the relationships in which I'm a part of? In particular, the relationships within this worshiping community? Or is there unforgiveness, discord, brokenness? And if the answer was yes, that was the time in the service to get up to go to that person and to make it right before we would come to the table together. How can we receive God's forgiveness of us in Jesus and live in unforgiveness with one another? How can we together pick up our call to be that kingdom of priests in unity if there's discord between us? The peace of the Lord be always with you. Go and make that thing right. How good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. And then, in the Eucharistic prayer, we tell the story that we're called to be a part of. And then we receive the life of Jesus in the sacrament that equips us to take up our role in that story. And then at the end of the service, we're sent out to live into that new humanity, that royal priesthood. And we do that in different ways in different services. In the old service, in the BCP, we would say, And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. We're picking up our task as a kingdom of priests. In the service today, we'll say it this way. May we who have been nourished by holy things live as faithful heirs of your coming kingdom. We're picking up that calling to go out as a kingdom of priests, to live that out in our workplaces, our families, our communities, reflecting the beauty and the glory and the love and the justice of that new creation. For how good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. And that is where David closes. He says, the Lord has commanded the blessing in that community life forevermore. There in a community united in that royal priesthood is the fullness of the life of God tasted, encountered, breathed in. It reminds me of that affirmation that John makes in one of his letters that no one has seen the invisible God but he's known in the love that we have for one another. How good, how pleasant it is when people dwell in unity. The unity of a royal priesthood. 
It is like glorious blessing flowing down, like the dew of Hermon. Amen and amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.